0: and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Our verses for today are from Isaiah 49, verses one to seven. Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. Yet my vindication is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth, This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One says, to one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see, princes will stand up, and they will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to just be in your presence this morning. As you are worthy of all our glory, all praise, all wisdom, all strength. We thank you, Father, that we can trust in you. Thank you that we are loved by you. And thank you for those who are here today, Lord, to, to hear from your word, to learn about you, to worship you, God pray that you would open our eyes open our ears to the truth of the gospel to the truth of what's in your word what we're going to learn about in isaiah today help us to understand holy spirit i pray too for Jermaine, who will be um, bringing your word to us today lord i pray that the words of his heart and um, the things that he's going to say will just be from you lord would be pleasing in your sight give him courage give him wisdom father Would you be with us today? We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: All right. Well, good morning, church family and friends. Uh, So happy to be back in together in front of you again. Uh, We're going to be continuing on in our uh, series, uh, Easter in the OT, and I've titled this message from Isaiah 49, um, All Glory to God for His Glorious Plan. So if it's not obvious to you yet, um, this service, as all services should be, is about bringing glory to God. Amen? Amen. That's the, the focus. So if you get nothing else, that's what you go away with, all right? So I titled this sermon, God's Glorious Plan, um, really give glory to God for his glorious plan. Um, because there was a, uh, a clear um, picture to me of so many things are happening in this, but of like God's plan here. And one of the things that we learn, um, hopefully we learn this early in life, is that uh, there's a saying, um, fail to plan, plan to fail, right? And so we've learned to be wise and to create plans for our lives. And a truly wise plan as human beings includes a plan B, a contingency plan a backup plan, right? And, and we do this in such a, a way in our society now that we often don't think about our plan Bs. Most of us have cars parked outside, and if we open the back and we dig down deep, we find a spare tire that's a plan B, right? Most of us have, um, on those same cars sitting outside, we've had to have... Uh, insurance, for those moments where life happens unexpectedly. That's a plan B. The sad thing about our plan Bs is that we don't always, they don't always work out. They don't always back us up the way that we hope they would. This is because we are finite, fallible creatures. We miss things. Our Capacity to predict, to even consider the variables that could come in a situation is limited. And even when we do consider thoroughly what to consider, what to plan for, we sometimes lose our edge, we lose our will, we lose our follow-through, right? We serve a God, though, who is not like us. His plans only need to be set once. His plans are perfectly fortified by his his power and his knowledge and his unchangingness. That he, he he can know exactly what needs to happen and perfectly have the ability to execute it. And... He doesn't in a moment decide, you know what, this ain't really the direction I want to go in. He is unchanging. And, and these are reasons that we ought to take time and really analyze God's plan. Really pay attention to it. There are certain things in life where they happen so naturally that we often don't even recognize how amazing they are, how intricate and creative they are. God's plan ought not to be one of those things that we miss the glory in it. And so that's my desire today in this sermon is to help us see the glory of God's glorious plan and to worship him for it. So let's get right into it. Verse 1 begins, coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant people, pay attention. This is a message. This is news for everyone. It means it's got implications for every single person's life. And this news is about a servant of God. And he begins by telling us that he was set apart for, uh, uh, from, he was called by God from birth. This called means that he was set apart for a specific work by God. And he goes on to give us another detail that he was given a name by God from birth as well. In fact, from his mother's womb. And we learn that name in Luke 1, 30 to 31. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary... For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. This glorious servant that we are being introduced to here is none other than Jesus. Jesus, the name actually gives us an understanding of his calling. The name Jesus means Savior and this promised servant savior he told us that he was called before birth but he doesn't actually tell us how long so let's ask that question how long ask it with me how long how long, how long before birth was jesus called first peter 1 Apostle Peter gives us this answer, 1 Peter 1.20 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. This is a brilliant picture. God had Jesus in place before the foundation of the world to save us. Jesus didn't come into the picture after we failed. It wasn't because we sinned. God, having full knowledge of everything that would transpire, had a plan to save us. This highlights for us the thoughtfulness of our God. There's a song that I vaguely remember it, but I remember this part. It was, he knew me, yet he loved me he whose glory made the heaven shine. I'm so unworthy of his glory. While he was on the cross, you and I were on his mind. This is the beauty of the gospel. We see God's thoughtfulness in it. And when we see the thoughtfulness of God that he planned to save us before we were even conceived, it should create in us Gratitude for God. That's one thing that should always be in us. We should be grateful to God. And this ought to come out in our singing. Sometimes we sing like we don't know what Jesus did. Sometimes we sing like we don't realize that He's the reason you woke up this morning. He's the reason you're here today. He's the reason that you've got, like, no one in this room is naked, everyone's got clothes. If you need food, just talk to me after. We can figure that out. He's providing for you. There's so much to be thankful for. And, and, and Paul, in many of the, the letters he writes, encourages the believers to be continually thankful to God in their prayers. This ought to be one of the things that we begin with. I know sometimes you got a lot on your mind you just want to offload. But take a moment to stop and consider his goodness, and thank him for even giving you the ability to to acknowledge that he is God and go to him in your time of need. Thank God. And another way that we show this gratitude is by continuing to, to testify of his goodness towards us, to others. Let others know how good God's been let others know how he's changed your life, how he saved you. These are all ways that we show our gratitude to God. Jesus' uh, Jesus' calling also, and, and particularly the fact that he was called um, before birth, that he was named from his mother's womb, also uh, shows us something else, teaches us something else that's very important in our day, teaches us the sanctity of life, that God's plan for a person was in place before they were born from the womb. That means each and every person is a person from the womb. And I know that this is controversial in our fallen and broken world. And as Christians, we've got to boldly and confidently hold on to our conviction while being kind and gracious and understanding to those who have a different view. And we also may know of some people who have um, the shame and the guilt from having an abortion. And to them, we ought to be gentle in our leading them and helping them to see the mercy and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Amen? And let's go on. In verse 2 it says that his words were formed like a sharpened sword, he himself was made by God as a sharpened arrow. This gives us the picture of Jesus' powerful prophetic ministry. This picture of his words being formed like a sharpened sword, him being a sharpened arrow, says that he, he's got a ministry, a prophetic ministry that's meant to reach people near and far, and that there is no area of a person's life that the word of God doesn't speak to. God's word can penetrate through any aspect of our life, any secret we hold. All things are bare before God. And and we actually see this with a story, a very familiar story, hopefully us, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is able to, with divine knowledge, speak to her relational status, and in doing that, he's, he's able to open her eyes to the fact that he is a prophet, but even further, in a sim- simple word, I am that man, he reveals to her that he is the long-awaited savior, and she is so transformed by this this word of Jesus that she can't help but run back home and say, come, meet, um, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. The word of God transforms lives. And it ought to move us in the same way that it did this Samaritan woman, that we would see that God's word is able to free us from bondage to sin, It's able to give us that transforming knowledge of who Jesus is. And it's able to make unashamed witnesses of the gospel of us. And when we get this, we're actually moved to spend more time seeking to know God's word, to remain in God's word. And it actually moves us to share God's word with everyone we meet. This is a a very common picture that I want us to see. When God moves us, we are to share him. When God moves us by his word, by his gospel, we ought to tell others. That's a natural response. When we get excited about something that we see, We can't help but express it publicly. That's what praise is. That's what worship is. This is a natural thing. So going on, verse 3. Verse 3, he says, He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. This is a tricky part. You might be thinking, Jermaine, (laughs) <laughs> I think you made a mistake. Um, the servant's name is Israel, um, and you're probably thinking it's the nation of Israel. And I want to say throughout um, this passage, and even throughout the Book of Isaiah, we actually get a sense, we get a clear understanding that this servant Israel is not the nation Israel. Um, one of the clearest places that we see that is actually in 48, chapter 48 kind of brings us to a point where God ultimately rejects Israel as his servant. And I won't go through all of it, but if you read the very beginning, you actually see it right from the beginning. They're rejected as God's servant, and this is because they rebel. We've seen this again and again. Israel is continually coming to a place where they rebel against God. They lose trust in him. But God didn't leave us with only Israel because Israel was meant to be a light to the nations for God's glory. But God doesn't leave us with Israel. He gives us a substitute. Jesus Christ, the promised servant savior, is our substitute. Amen? Amen. And we go on to see another way that Jesus succeeds where Israel fails. Verse four to five says this, but I myself have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. Yet my vindication is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him to, to, so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. Here we see the servant gets discouraged. And, and this was actually something that happened with Jesus. And, and for very obvious reasons, he had been rejected by his own people, the nation of Israel. He'd been rejected rejected by the Jews. He, his, his own family members thought he was crazy. And, and then we see his disciples, people who had walked with him for uh, his ministry, that when he's sweating drops of blood, they're falling asleep. And, and this is a picture of thoughtlessness on their part. And we do the same. But, but Jesus here demonstrates to us something even more glorious, that he continues to trust God even though he's discouraged. This is an area where Israel, the nation, often failed. Often when they got discouraged, when they thought Moses had abandoned them, they thought there was no God with them, they thought maybe we can create our own God. When they saw that the other nations had leaders who were mighty and were overthrowing and were conquering, they thought we need a human king. Israel often went from discouragement to, to uh, disbelief to rejecting God. But Jesus is able, through his moment of discouragement, to hold on. And he does this because he remembers ultimately, that God is in control. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, yet my vindication is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. What he's telling us here is that even though at times through our finite view, it looks grim, it looks hopeless, That when we are committed to doing the will of God, when we are obeying God, we can expect his reward. God is the one who ultimately determines the outcome of our ministry and life. Paul understood this well. He said, I plant Apollos waters, but the Lord brings the fruit. The Lord is the one who gives the harvest. And so we can rest in that even as we're ministering for God, even as we're uh, sharing the gospel and it looks like there's no fruit, know that God is in control and we can then continue to trust him through discouragement. This is another way that Israel fails in God and Jesus um, succeeds and in this he's Told that he is then the one who will um, restore Israel. Going on to verse six and seven, he says, This is God he's speaking about. He says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel, I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, says to one who is despised, one who is abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see, princes will stand up, and they will all bow down, Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. So the late uh, Chadwick Boseman, you might remember him as Black Panther, in an interview explained that uh, the role Black Panther, in fact, the movie Black Panther, didn't exist when he initially auditioned for the uh, role of Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. If anyone knows those movies, they know that's a very strange put, uh, role for him to be auditioning for. But the casting director um, realized that there definitely is something special about him. And so instead of giving him the supportive ro- supporting role of Drax, He got the leading role of Black Panther, a role that didn't exist before he was seen. God the Father sees this perfect servant-savior, Jesus, and realizes that The role of just being the restorer of Israel is too small a role for such a glorious servant. And so he gives him a more glorious role throughout history, the role of savior of the world. Some look to politicians, some look to activists, some think maybe science and technology, some think Uh, Maybe education can bring salvation, but the Bible is clear. There is only one name given among men by which we shall be saved. There is only one name given among men by which we shall be saved. It is the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only savior. He's the only one. And the the beauty and brilliance of God's plan is seen even further when we understand the, the way in which God has Jesus save us. And Philippians 2 tells it really well. From verse 6 to 11, it says this. Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity and, he, and when he and when he had come as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, for this reason. God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's plan here was for the the one who is equal with God, in fact, God, to become human, to become a baby, to, to be in the womb, to go through all those, those transitions that we go through, not to be born in a palace, to be born in a manger, to get as low as, as, as a human being could be so that he could get under our situation and that he could lift us up where no one else could. Jesus Christ is our savior. And and he comes and he humbles himself and he lives the life that we failed to live and dies the death that we deserve to die and makes a way for us to Live the life that he lived, bringing glory to God. God accomplishes bringing us in to the plan of bringing him the glory that he deserves through Jesus. And in case you're tempted to think, well, at some point in history, it looks like I came into the plan. That you were an afterthought. Paul actually helps us really well. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, he says this, for he chose us in him, him being Christ, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And even further, Ephesians two ten, he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, That's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We didn't get added to God's plan afterwards. We were in God's plan. And Jesus, when we put our trust in him... He actually makes the way for us to do what we were created to do and participate in the work of bringing God the glory that he deserves. This is the glorious plan of God, that that we would become, along with Jesus, a light to the nations, that we would be directing people to the one who made the way, Jesus Christ, this is the glorious plan of God that we, in all this, would wait with eager anticipation for the day when Jesus will come again. How many know he is coming again? This promise is actually helping us to see that God's plan encapsulates all of Human history from the very beginning to now to the end. God has planned that one day Jesus will come again, and in that day we will see the full realization of his glorification when every knee, come on, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some think that they they've somehow eluded God's plan. They found a way to circumvent it. Let me be very clear brothers and sisters, God's plan incorporates all of us. One way or the other, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And and hear it clear to the glory of God the Father. God gets glory from every single life, every life. This is the glorious plan of God. This is what God has done for us in human history and throughout eternity. He's made a plan to, to bring us in to bringing him glory. And I want to be completely honest with you here, make a confession that when I, when I first read this, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. I've, I grew up, I was raised in the church. I've got about three generation preachers in my family. And so I've been in the church from before I could remember and have heard then the gospel time and time and time again. And I was in the office with Marvin Shea, and and the reality hit me that this message was very clearly about God's plan, about the gospel. And it was lost on me. I wasn't moved anymore by the gospel, it became old news. And I want to say this is this is a reality the gospel can feel like old news to us it can be so familiar that you're like we have this frailty as human beings that things that are glorious get lost on us over time but and so we we need these moments where God would in his grace remind us how glorious his plan truly is he would he would draw our attention to the, the wisdom and intricacy of God. He would draw our attention to his, his might and power in controlling and orchestrating all things. Shan was talking about his testimony, and he's got a similar one to me where it feels like he's just been a Christian forever, and he mentioned something that was so helpful is, is, is there, there was a journey that his dad had to go on to get to Canada where he would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. He had to leave some persecution. He had to leave some hardship. And, and here's the thing. Before Sheaon's parents heard it, there was, there was someone who was doing a work someone who was, who was sharing the gospel in a time where there was hostility in places of the world where, where, where you could die for sharing the gospel. And God orchestrates all these things so that Sheon and his family would come to salvation. And I want you to stop and think for a moment because there's some of you in the room who also are like Sheon and I and you've grown up in the church and you're thinking there's not much glory and what God has done in my life. But let me tell you, every single person who comes to saving knowledge in, of Jesus Christ, it is a miraculous work of God. There's no ordinary thing about this. This is extraordinary. That God would reach down to the deepest pits of human history and he would pull us up when we could not hope to climb out of our holes. God rescues us. We see in his plan what great love with which he loved us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were his enemy, while we were rebellious, that he had a plan in place to save us. This is why we ought to give glory to God. This is why we live our lives to give glory to God. There is no one more worthy. We sing it in songs. We pray it in prayers. We ought to really resonate on, this ought to really resonate with us. There is no one more worthy of our Let's give him the praise that he deserves. Let's pray. Father, you truly are glorious. You truly are glorious. Your wisdom, your power, your sovereignty your immutability. Lord, all that you are is glorious. And the fact that you thought of us before we were thought of by any human being, before we were even an idea in the minds of our parents, before any moment that of, of history that we would be a part of, you thought of us. And and furthermore, you've you've planned a way to make us your own. And Lord, those are the, there are some of us here who who might be thinking, well, I haven't made that decision yet. I haven't I haven't committed to following Jesus. And and Lord, I pray now that you would help them see that there's no but no more worthy thing for them to live for than to live for your glory. And God, you would bring them in. And for those of us who are here, who who are hearing this and, and are, are stirred up and are provoked, Lord, I pray that that, that it would lead to fruitfulness in, in giving you the praise and worship that you deserve from our lives. That it would turn over in fruitfulness in us and us being witnesses, bold, unashamed witnesses of the gospel everywhere in our lives, Lord, that there would be no place in our lives that is off limits to your word. Because in fact, there is no place in our lives that your word doesn't speak to. So Lord, help us to to be a people who are committed over the from the overjoy of the overflow of our joy in you to tell others about you. Father, bring glory to yourself in and through us in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com